The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Today's world news, what it means, where it's taking us. I bring you the one and only possible message of world peace. This is a message of hope, tremendous hope. And he said unto me, you must prophesy again. The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. No, it's the end of an era and an incredible one. It's sort of hard not to be in awe of what she has accomplished, unless you're in a cult. This is like watching you know, a great performer on the stage or a great athlete uh, making a big decision about the next chapter. Nancy Pelosi was an incredible Speaker of the House, and I, I, I find her to be almost irreplaceable. She really is a once-in-a-generation kind of politician, right? And she will go down in history as one of the greats, and if not, you know, the greatest Speaker of the House. So Yeah, the heels that probably are going to be very difficult to, uh, to fill. Uh, she should be on everybody's goat list. Of, of leaders of the House, uh, of the entirety of our country's history. Uh, she has to be on considered one of the greatest of all time. Is she's a true servant leader? I mean, in, in all of its manifestations, she served not for her own benefit, but for the benefit of others. Most classy examples of servant leadership. This That is real servant leadership and the fact that she really does believe in servant leadership. Let's not discount just the amazing tenacity <laughs> And awesomeness. She is. She is the essence of a leader. Yeah. You know, we all think we have to be perfect. She did. She probably was perfect in many ways, but um, she taught us that we could embrace all of who we were. Sort of hard not to be in awe of what she has accomplished, unless you're in a cult. I guess I'm in the cult. Uh, unbelievable. Starting off the last show of the week with some comedy gold there from all the talking heads reacting to Nancy Pelosi stepping down as the leader of the the Democrat Party in the House. She's going to retain her seat and the $170,000 salary that will be added to her net worth of about $170 million. We'll talk more about that as we proceed on today's show. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We certainly appreciate you joining us for the last show of the week, as I just mentioned. You can get to the live video stream of this show through our website. That's thetrumpet.com. Trumpet.com forward slash live takes you to the stream, the live stream page, and also we post uh, all the shows after the fact on the website as well. So she, uh, Nancy Pelosi, I think she came to Congress in 1987. So she's a, a, a career politician. She, uh, I think, first won her role as speaker back in 2007. And that lasted, I forget how long that that lasted, I guess maybe through 2010. And then she reemerged during the Trump years, uh, has been a prominent Democrat for decades. Uh, and here they are saying she's the greatest ever, the greatest, a servant, servant leadership is how they describe Nancy Pelosi. I think she came into Congress with a net worth of something like two or three million dollars. And as I say, she leaves her role. One thing that's interesting is you track her accumulation of wealth over the years. In uh, 2007, that's when she was first made speaker. In 2007, the, the Pelosi family was worth $31 million by that time. And then two years later, they were worth $101 million. So two years 
and they tripled their net worth. It's amazing what sort of wealth you can accumulate when uh, you're also deciding what legislation comes before the House. And then, of course, all those, well, we don't even need to get into Paul Pelosi, the insider trading, and so on. These are servant leaders, just so that you know. This is uh, the definition of servant leadership. And, and the greatest ever, try if you can, here's a tough exercise, try if you can to identify one piece of signature legislation that this woman is responsible for. Her, her greatest claim to fame in the eyes of all these talking heads is that she really went after Donald John Trump. Get Trump. She, she certainly did do that with the impeachment, the sham impeachment proceedings. And because she went after Donald Trump, that makes her the greatest of all time. The truth, the truth, of course, is that she brought in San Francisco values, as my father wrote back in 2006. That, uh, that article at the end of 2006, after the midterm election win, for Nancy Pelosi and her, uh, her fellow Democrats, my father said, time will prove this to be a deadly curse on the United States. He was right. He was right. Look at where we are today in the nation and in Washington, D.C. A, a, a curse. That's really what, that's really what, what was the significance of that, that midterm election back in 2006. My father warned that... Uh, the midterm election, the rise of Pelosi, how that this changed American politics forever. That's from the trumpet. That's from the trumpet about 16, 17 years ago. Politics changed forever. This, this would be a deadly curse on the nation. Well, who's right? <laughs> the trumpet, tomorrow's news today. Make sure you, if you don't have a subscription to it, of course you can get to most of the articles on the website, thetrumpet.com, but to get the hard copy sent to your mailbox every month, just call our operators. They're standing by. The, the call is toll-free if you're in the United States or Canada. It's 1-866-930-3024. And so no more Nancy Pelosi as Speaker of the House. I mean, that is pretty significant. If, uh, if you leave aside, I mean, if you remove the cheating, and we'll hear what Barack Obama had to say on one of the funny shows, or not-so-funny shows last night, about the cheating and the threat to democracy, you strip away the cheating, and as I've said on this show over the past week, you have a red wave. I mean, and even with the cheating, you still see Nancy Pelosi having to step down. She's stepping down because she finally feels like well, there's some time for, uh, this is the time for someone younger. And the, the one who's the front runner, by the way, he, uh, he says that Donald Trump stole the 2016 election with Vladimir Putin's help. So he's an election denier of all things. He's an election denier, an insurrectionist, if we're to take the definitions that the communists in uh, D.C. give us. It's a pretty significant transition or change to have this woman no longer in charge of the House. And then you hear some of these Republicans. They are not wasting time <laughs> telling the world that they're going to, they are going to investigate the Biden family. Listen to Representative James Comer yesterday 
on that very subject. Clip six. Hunter Biden is a criminal. Joe Biden knew about it. When Joe Biden said from the White House uh, press stand last week that he was confident his son's innocent, I mean, innocent of what? He's guilty of seven or eight very serious crimes. But the investigations about whether or not this White House is compromised, and that's a national security concern, and that's a concern that I think every American would have if they understood the severity of what all the Biden family's been involved in over the past decade. A White House that's compromised. I mean, what? again, communist infiltration, communist insurrection. You go back to the 1940s and 50s. We've got the quotes, and he was right. Way ahead of his time, Herbert Armstrong was saying, this is what's happening, and here's where it's leading. And now you've got this uh, Representative Comer, who's uh, the head of, uh, I forget the name of the committee, but he's basically saying, look, they're guilty, and it's not just Hunter. They made it clear yesterday in the press conference. This is not just going after Hunter Biden. This is about Joe Biden. Is he compromised? Is, has he sold out to the Communist Party in China? Listen to, and speaking of corruption through and through, this is Jim Jordan talking about the, the rottenness at the core of the FBI, clip five. A report that uh, talked about the political influence and the political shenanigans going on in our Justice Department. Based on 14 FBI agents who've come talk to our office as, as whistleblowers, one of those agents said, and this is the term he used, he said, at the highest levels of the FBI, specifically the Washington Field Office, he said it's rotted to the core. Rotten to the core. There's 14 whistleblowers that have come forward, so the FBI is going to come under some scrutiny. The the White House is going to if they're following if they follow through on this, it is going to be a very different House of Representatives for sure. Even this now, jogging Josh Hawley, he's a he's a senator, but you've got Chris Ray. He's in front of the committee yesterday. I think he was in front of the committee a couple days ago. And, and listen, it, Holly brings up the incident from back in August where, where uh, Chris Ray had to leave this congressional hearing early because he was going off on vacation. Listen to this exchange, clip seven. Could I think the last time that I got to visit with you was back in August, August 4th of this year. You were at the Senate Judiciary Committee. We had to cut that hearing short. You said you had to be somewhere, so we cut it short. The press reported shortly thereafter that the reason that the hearing had to be cut short is because you were flying on a Gulfstream jet for a personal vacation in the Adirondacks. Please tell me that's not accurate. Senator, the hearing was cut short, was not cut short from my experience. We had agreed beforehand on the time and, and, uh, and length of it, and my, I was very surprised to find that the, any man on the committee was surprised. So, that's so, so you were going on vacation? I was, yes. So you left a statutorily required oversight hearing in order to go on a personal vacation in the Adirondacks? I took a flight to go visit my family uh, as had been previously arranged in conjunction no, no, with no. the leadership of the committee. The ranking member, Chuck Grassley, asked you during the hearing, he said, I assume you must have other business. You said, yes. He then said, if you have a business trip, you've got your own plane, can't it wait a while? He then said, Chuck Grassley, we only just heard half an hour ago that now you have to leave. We were going to have a seven-minute round followed by a three-minute round. I've got seven people on my side of the aisle, that included me, 
who are waiting for this additional round, is there any reason we can't accommodate them for 21 minutes? And you said you had a plane to catch. You had somewhere to go. And now we find out it was for vacation? Wow. That, he just caught him in a lie, basically. I'm, I'm surprised. Says Ray, I'm surprised you were surprised. I mean, uh, everyone understood I was going to be leaving early. And then he reads the transcript back to him. Wow. There's a, a, a little bit of a different tone all of a sudden in the uh, House of Representatives, even in the Senate. And let's hope that these, these congressional representatives develop a bit of a backbone to finally hold people to account to finally hold people responsible for, in Chris Ray's case, I mean, he heads up the FBI. He, he's, he's there telling Congress, we need more funding so we can go after domestic terrorists. I mentioned to you on an earlier program this week, you know, the one senator that, that said to Chris Ray, well, look, okay, four people died in 2020 because of domestic terrorism, and, and look at how many are dying every day from fentanyl poisoning. 200 Americans per day, and he wants more funding, about a half billion more, so he can go after groups like the Proud Boys, groups they've infiltrated, by the way, the FBI, They're being exposed. And right in the midst of all this, you've got Barack Obama, the dear leader. I mean, he's, he's starting his disinformation campaign. Oh, well, it's a, it, he's just trying to educate you about all those Republicans that are out there spreading misinformation. He has the conference going on. Well, let me just read from the Daily Caller. It says the Obama Foundation is hosting a forum Thursday where disinformation will be discussed. And keep in mind, Barack Obama is the disinformation king. Disinformation will be discussed by a group with alleged ties to spreading disinformation and a historian who has been criticized by many in her field. It says the Tackling Disinformation Protecting, Democ Protecting Democracy Forum, hosted by Barack Obama in connection with Columbia University, will be moderated by Renee DiResta, who allegedly helped sway elections through the use of bots and is connected the and is connected the censors and has connected the the censorship of stories about Hunter Biden's laptop or she's connected to that and then get this Nicole Hannah Jones she's also attending she's part of this conference one of the panelists for the forum is the author of the 1619 project which has been thoroughly debunked as mis I mean it's dis she's the queen of disinformation this is going on. This is the Obama Foundation. Guess who else is there? Ben Rhodes. Ben Rhodes, one of the greatest fiction writers of our day. He, too, will be at the disinformation conference. Listen to Barack Obama. He, he leaves the disinformation conference, and then he goes right on to one of the not-so-funny talk shows and talks about how, how America is so different today. And how he can't even connect with Republicans because of outlets like Fox News spreading disinformation. This is clip three. But I go into a town and it'd be 70% Republican, you know, a lot of evangelicals, etc. But I could go to a diner or a VFW hall or a, a county fair. There wasn't the filter that had been created 
by Fox News or the media infrastructure, the, the sort of right-wing conspiracy theory uh, you know, folks. And so they came at me with an open mind. And I think the filter now has become so thick. It started, I think, with Fox News and some of the other uh, uh, you know, traditional media. And now with social media, that's gotten turbocharged. If you go into those same communities now, they have so many preconceptions about what somebody like me believes, cares about, etc., that it's very hard to penetrate. This is why his people, as soon as they, uh, as soon as the Fed surrection happened on January 6th, that's why his wife, for example, called the social media giants and said, "Hey, you got to censor Donald Trump. There's too much misinformation getting out there." And he's still, he's still been blotted out of Twitter. It's amazing. Speaking of his wife, by the way, Michelle, I don't know if this was a, I don't think this was a funny uh, show, but the, she's at some conference and she's talking about her hair and how she had to wear it a certain way while she was first lady because, you know, white America just, just wasn't ready for, uh, for, I guess, braids or whatever. You can listen to her describe it. Clip four. As black women, we deal with it. The whole thing about, do you show up with your natural hair? You know, as first lady, I did not wear braids. <laughs> the first black. Yeah, yeah. I, I just, we got to ease up on the people. You know, just like, because I thought about it. I was like, it would be easier. Nope, nope, they're not ready. And the former first lady says that she kept her hair straight so her husband's administration could focus on other issues and not her hair. Talk about disinformation or misinformation. I mean, what a topic to even bring up. Uh, referring back to your, your years as the first lady of the president of the United States. It's just so negative and, and critical and, and petty. He, she had to do it so that her administration, her husband's administration, could just focus on, you know, the weightier matters. Barack Obama, just switching back to the, the not-so-funny show last night, listen to what he uh, had to say about Republicans weakening uh, democracy, clip two. What do, you, what do you think it says about American democracy that so many people are getting elected to these positions when they, they seem to dismiss the election itself? But what is important is that because of some really concerted efforts in a lot of important states, some of the most egregious, prominent, uh, and potentially dangerous election deniers, right. they got thumped. They, they got beat. And particularly in these Secretary of State's races, and in some cases governor's races, where in a, the next presidential election you could have somebody who could really do some damage, there I think we held the line. Now, what it does say more broadly is the fact that, uh, not just here in the United States, but around the world, the fundamental precepts of democracy are being challenged. Right. Uh, it, we're not having arguments about policy, but we're having arguments about the, the, the rules of the game, which previously we all agreed to. Right. And what we've seen now, for a whole host of reasons, is a creeping sense that uh, if the outcome's not what we want, then we can do whatever we want and mm -hmm. say whatever we want mm -hmm. uh, in order for us to win. And 
that is profoundly dangerous. And as I said, it's, it's not unique to the United States, but when it happens in the United States, it sends a signal all around the world that weakens democracy. They, they change all the rules regarding elections in the lead up to 2020 in order to steal the election from Donald Trump. They, they, mass, they mail out all of these ballots. You've got all the drop boxes that pop up. The ballot harvesting that you can see it there. This is from Maricopa County just, uh, just last week or in the weeks leading up to. There's the ballot drop boxes and people putting in 10, 15, 20 ballots. They changed the rules so that this could happen. And then if you come along as a Republican legislature and dial it back to the way that it once was, they cry, they scream. You're not playing fair. You're not letting us cheat like we used to. Some states have dialed it back and the elections have returned to uh, a smooth flow like Florida, like Ohio. But other states, they're still, look at Arizona. I mean, what, what a circus. What a spectacle, Arizona. And a lot of people have stood up in hearings this week or have emailed Carrie Lake. There's, there's witnesses coming forward, affidavits being signed, just like in 2020. And, and we'll see if uh, a court or if uh, authorities will do anything about it this time around. They surely didn't do much the last time around. But, but coming back to the dear leader, you've got Antiochus on the one hand, and you've got Jeroboam on the other. One has been blotted out, at least from social media, because they don't want a competing message. They don't want, expo- they don't want to be exposed. This uh, article, National Review, had a, an article in response to Donald Trump's announcement that he's going to run for president. They just put a big, a big no over his picture. No, we don't want you to do it. National Review, that's right. You know, the good conservative publication. It really and truly is, as I said earlier this week, Donald Trump versus everyone, the swamp, the uniparty, both sides. There's a few exceptions. But, but listen to the, those talking heads at the top of this segment as they just go on and on like, like robots. She, swooning over Nancy Pelosi, of all people. This is a a piece at the American uh, Spectator in response to that National Review piece. His title is, yes, the return of Trump is is essential. He uh, comments on the National Review piece saying, to their credit, they they run a list of Trump's presidential accomplishments. But then, then they list what they consider to be the reasons why he should not be returned to the White House. And in doing so, illustrate exactly the swamp's way of thinking. Trump was chaotic with an erratic nature and a a lack of seriousness. This is why he shouldn't be president again. It's not even really about policies. And like I say, policy-wise, legislation-wise, what is it that Nancy Pelosi has actually accomplished? They don't want you to look at the fruits. They just want you to accept what they say. Will worship. He quotes from National Review. 
he often, Trump often acted as if he were a commentator on uh, his own presidency and issued orders on Twitter and in other off-the-cuff statements that were ignored. He repeatedly had to be talked out of disastrous ideas by his advisors and Republican elected officials. He turned off, he turned on cabinet officials and aides on a dime. Trump had limited understanding of our constitutional system. And uh, at the end of the day, little respect for it. This is the National Review. <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. His inability to approximate the conduct that the people expects, as, expects of a president undermined him from beginning to end. From beginning to end. And that's why they were, they were just bent on destroying him. From beginning to end. Really, truly, they, 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 were, they were setting out to impeach and destroy from the very beginning. Even before he set foot into office. Obama and his people were plotting against him. Spying and hoping to bring him down to destroy him. See, they, they didn't like him coming in with new ideas, promising to do things a different way. And uh, if the National Review would, would even look at its own article, you see the listing of accomplishments of just stepping out and courageously going forward, even when the establishment all around him, even in his own, his own administration, would say, no, you can't do it that way. That's just not the way it's done in Washington. They really do hate him. They've been trying to impeach him and remove him literally before he even set foot in office. This is, this is Nancy Pelosi's greatest claim to fame, that she almost destroyed Donald Trump. So that's why she should be held up and revered as the greatest House Speaker of all time. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily don't forget the 800 number if you want to uh, request any literature, 866-930-3024. We'll be right back. This is KPCG-FM, and this is the Trumpet Daily. The developed nations have made awesome progress. They have produced a highly mechanized world, providing every luxury, modern convenience and means of pleasure. Yet they are cursed with crime, violence, injustice, sickness and disease, broken homes and families. At the same time, more than one half the world is living in illiteracy, abject poverty, filth and squalor. Violence and destruction are rapidly multiplying. Many ask, why, if God exists, does he allow so much violence and human suffering? To understand the reason behind this astonishing paradox, request a complimentary copy of Mystery of the Ages. We were born into this 20th century world as it is. We take it for granted, but we can't explain it. It's like viewing a movie at a point already near the end. We see what is occurring at that point, but not having seen it from the beginning and not knowing how events developed to the point of viewing, we simply cannot understand what we are seeing. Mystery of the Ages transports you back to the beginning of the movie, to the foundation of this present evil world. To learn more, please visit thetrumpet.com. 
The Trumpet Daily. There is growing concern in Germany now that Elon Musk has bought Twitter. Germany's Social Democratic Party says that Musk's takeover is a threat to freedom of expression. Volkswagen has since told its brands to suspend advertising on Twitter. Censorship fear is spreading throughout Germany. Only 17% of Germans feel they can freely express themselves online. To learn more, sign up for The Trumpet magazine free upon request at thetrumpet.com. Chaos continues to plague Brazil as thousands of people are flooding the street to contest the election between Bolsonaro and De Silva. Many people believe that the election was stolen, although the Ministry of Defense has claimed that they have not seen any evidence. President Bolsonaro has not opposed the transition of power, but he has neither conceded or congratulated De Silva on his narrow victory. For many people in Brazil, De Silva represents corruption, and over 49% of the population does not want to see him back in office. To understand this story more, read our Trumpet article, Why You Need to Watch the Brazilian Election, at thetrumpet.com. With Russia's invasion of Ukraine, Germany has promised to increase its defense spending and military power. Not so much directly providing Ukraine with weapons, but they are using this opportunity to increase their military influence around Europe. As other European nations send weapons and vehicles to Ukraine, Germany is rushing to restock those European states with newer, updated weapons. For instance, after Greece sent 40 Soviet-designed tanks to Ukraine, Germany sent Greece 40 Marder infantry fighting vehicles. Read our free booklet, Germany's Conquest of the Balkans, to understand the significance of this. Also be sure to sign up for the Trumpet Brief to have daily updates on important stories around the world. Just go to thetrumpet.com. The Trumpet Daily. That's our uh, week in review coming from the uh, European office at uh, there at Edstone in the UK. Well, today seems like uh, a good day to talk a little bit about servant leadership. What is a, a true servant of God? Is it someone that's trying to line his pockets with cash or doing anything, anything in his power to hold on to hold on to that power that authority there's lots of leaders like this in the world you should read the last bit of matthew 20 jesus there teaching the disciples about what it means to be a true servant leader we just observed the feast of tabernacles or i guess it's a few weeks back now those of us in god's church we go off to the Feast of Tabernacles and we receive this glorious vision of a wonderful world that's coming. My father says this in the God Family Vision, Jesus Christ died for the world and we're here to serve the world. We're here to serve the world. God's family is here to serve the world. He says the Feast of Tabernacles is a feast of ingathering, picturing a time, when God will use us to gather in the whole world. I mean, what a monumental job this is. It's just ahead of us. We've got to be prepared. We're working now, but we've got to be prepared for a much greater work. As soon as Jesus Christ sets foot on the Mount of Olives, then we're going to have to get busy and harvest humanity, bring them into the family of God. Notice 
our perfect example, Jesus Christ. This example comes out of the Gospel of Mark, Mark 6 and verse 30, where it says, And uh, the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they uh, had taught. And he said to them, Come you yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. I mean, they were so busy. <laughs> People, I mean, Jesus Christ was in demand. Uh, people wanted to see him. People wanted to get close to him. People wanted to hear from him. And the disciples that Jesus was teaching through it all, they were in some ways exhausted and worn out from the pressure of it all, from just the, the busyness of it, of it all. Verse 32, it says, And they departed into a desert place by a ship privately, and the people saw, the, the masses of people, the crowds, they saw them departing, and many knew him, they knew Jesus Christ, and ran afoot there out of the cities, and outwent him. They, they came together unto him, so they outran Christ and the disciples, the multitude did. They were that excited, they were that enthused to come along and to hear what he had to, to teach. Verse 34, and Jesus, notice this, Jesus was tired and exhausted as well. Jesus is the one that told the disciples, hey, let's go away into a desert place and relax for a little bit. Jesus, when he had come out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them because they were as sheep having, uh, not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. So when Christ saw this throng of people, this, this multitude of people, he stopped. He was trying to get away for some rest and rejuvenation, but he stopped. He looked at the crowd, and it says he had great compassion. He was moved with compassion. And so he stayed there through the day and taught these people many things. The religious leaders of their day, they did not teach and guide and love the people. They were more like the leaders that we see all around us today, serving themselves even as they neglected the sheep. They were not good shepherds. They were not servant leaders like Jesus Christ. And that's what Christ taught the disciples in Matthew 20, as I say. He said to them, now look, when you, when you get this, this position... This position of leadership, it's important that you know that you're not to rule like the, the rulers of this world. You're to be true servants, slaves, in fact. That's what Christ said over there. Here in this example, he's moved with compassion, even though exhausted and emotionally and physically spent. And yet he's moved with compassion and he stayed there and he taught them Many things, many things. Verse 35, And when the day was now far spent, the, uh, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desert place, and now the time is far past. So he was with these, these crowds for the entire day. He just changed his plans abruptly and said, All right, I'm, I'm going to try to teach the sheep. I'm going to teach them many things. Verse 36, Send them away that they may go into the country round about and into the villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. Verse 37 says, He answered and said unto them, Give you 
them to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred pennyworth of bread and give them to eat? Christ, of course, you know what's about to happen here. This is a, a, one of the best-known miracles in the Gospels. But uh, he was feeding these people spiritually, and now he's about to feed them even physically. Verse 38, And he said to them, How many loaves have you? Go and see. And when they knew, they said, Five and two fish. Five loaves, two fish, that's it. And thousands of people. Verse 39, And he commanded them to make all sit down by companies upon the green grass, and they sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. Everything was orderly. There's a, we've been emphasizing this in our First Corinthians study because uh, Paul said in, in chapter 14, let all things be done decently and in order. And then in chapter 15, he emphasizes there in the, the resurrection chapter that there's a time order to this purpose and plan that's being worked out here below. And even in something as simple as this, Christ has them all, uh, you know, get organized. This was not a, a free-for-all. This was not some chaotic scene where everyone's trying to get a bite of food. There was order and structure even to this, this meal that they were about to eat. Verse 41, And when he had taken five loaves and two fishes, he took up, uh, he looked up to heaven and blessed, and he broke the loaves, and he gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fishes divided he among them all, and they did all eat and were filled. They were all stuffed. They all had a Thanksgiving meal, a Thanksgiving dinner from these five loaves and two fishes. That's it. Christ prayed to the God of heaven, to his Father in heaven, and God the Father performed a mighty miracle to feed these people, these sheep that had no shepherd. Verse 43, And they took up twelve baskets full of the fragments and of the fishes, and they did eat of the loaves, they that did eat of the loaves were about 5,000 men. And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida while he, was, uh, sent, while he sent away the people. Verse 46 says, And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. So he, re- he needed spiritual rejuvenation as well. And so here, after a long, exhausting day, finally Jesus withdraws himself so that he could be recharged spiritually, so that he could receive more of God's Spirit through prayer, through fervent prayer. Notice John chapter 21. John chapter 21. Uh, If we're going to feed the people of this world, that's what God's church is called to do, to gather them in, as that quote from the God Family Vision brings out, to gather them in, to serve them, to love them, Servant leadership, that's what this is about. John 21 and verse 1, And these things, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And uh, on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel, and so on. And Simon Peter said to him, I'm going fishing, said to them, that is. They say unto him, We go with you. Here, here's a case where the disciples were... You know, Christ had been crucified. They were a little bit discouraged. They uh, had lost their spiritual focus. Maybe they thought their work was over. It was only just beginning. And they say, well, let's just go fishing. 
verse 4, it says, But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew, they knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any meat? And they answered, No. So they had been out there all night trying to uh, catch some fish, I guess, which is uh, not a good showing, considering that some of them were fishermen, verse uh, 6 says. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and you shall find. And they cast therefore, and now they were uh, not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. They threw the net out, and it just was so loaded with fish. Here's a case where Jesus was about to feed the disciples as well. Another miracle. Verse 7, Therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard it, that it was the Lord, he girded his fisher's coat unto him and did cast himself into the sea. He just jumped off the boat and started swimming over toward the Messiah. And the other disciples came in a little ship, dragging the net with fishes. As soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. Christ already had the meal. <laughs> he was cooking the meal for them. Everything was provided supernaturally by God, by the Son of God. Verse 10, it says, Jesus said to them, bring, bring of the fish which you have now caught. And Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land, full of great fishes, 153. A miracle that, well, it was a miracle even that the, the net didn't break apart. Verse 12, And Jesus said to them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples did ask him, Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord, it was the resurrected Jesus Christ. Jesus then comes and takes bread and gives it to them, and fish likewise. So just like in uh, the previous account, Mark 6, here Christ provides them with everything that they needed, everything that they desired. Verse 14, it says, This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to the disciples after that he was risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, Love you me more than these? And he said to, to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said unto him, Feed my lambs. If you love me, said Jesus Christ, if you really and truly do love me, then feed the sheep, protect the sheep, serve the sheep. Or in this case, the lambs. There is a distinction. This is from my father's book, The Love of God. Christ instructed Peter to get his message out to the world. This is God's number one commission for his church. The word lambs also helps us see how deeply God loves the people of this world, in spite of their rebellion. They were created to become members of God's family. But first they must be converted and become God's sheep. He says here, God's plan is to save the world, not just those of us called today. Those billions of people in the world are potential sheep in God's flock. Christ died for the world. That's John 3 and verse 16. God's plan, it really does encompass all of humanity, all who have ever lived even. There's a lot, of, you can look, I mean, you can look at the ignorance, the gross ignorance on display every day. You hear about it in segment one on this show. But at the same time, God says that we have to have compassion. We need to be moved with compassion. Because really what it shows is that these people are wandering about because they have no shepherd. They have no one to teach them. 
Now, they don't want God's teachings at the moment. They don't want the truth of God presented in any forum. They'd rather blot it out. But soon enough, they're going to be in classroom settings with God's family, receiving truth, receiving food, spiritually, physically. What a different, what a difference it will be from the world today, that wonderful world of tomorrow. Herbert Armstrong wrote a book that goes by that very title. Call our operators to request a free copy. It's one 930 Request the wonderful world tomorrow, what it will be like. My father said in a 2009 Key of David program, he said that Christ was talking about the whole world and said, you feed anybody that will be fed. You give to them. This is what servant leadership is all about. Feed anyone who's willing to be fed. Feed my lambs. Verse 16, he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, uh, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Christ said unto him, feed my sheep. So feed the lambs. My father's explained how that the lambs includes those who are like co-workers, donors, supporting God's church, God's work, while not yet members of the true church of God. And then he says sheep, and these are the members, the sheep. Mr. Armstrong, Herbert Armstrong used to talk about the, the dual commission that the church has to preach the gospel of the kingdom to this world and to feed the sheep, the flock of God. Read the first few verses of 1 Peter 5. You can look at that later sometime. But this is from uh, Herbert Armstrong, 1981. He said, This entire great commission, proclaiming the good news of the coming kingdom and feeding the sheep, is a combined administration and function of the church. This is why the church is here. It's so very different from any other church in this world, where we proclaim God's warning message to this world and then feed the sheep through the many programs that you see in the church with all the literature that we make available, obviously the instruction going on at the academy, at uh, Herbert Armstrong College, those weekly Sabbath services and Bible studies, where we're going to school. We're learning how to live. We're learning how to teach. We're learning how to teach the world so that when the time comes and, and Christ tells us to go and gather them in, we'll be ready. We'll be ready to assist him as servant leaders. Another quote, this is from my father's book, John's Gospel, The Love of God. It says, fulfilling this twofold commission requires the love of God. The only way we will fulfill the great commission of going to the world is if we love the world. Christ told Peter, if you don't have this love in you, you're not going to love the world by getting out there and doing everything possible to feed these people. We, it takes the love of God to be a servant leader, to feed the world, to feed the sheep, to feed the lambs. That requires God's love, not a love for this world and the things of this world, but a love for the multitudes who are going about as sheep without a shepherd. They have no guidance. They have no direction. They have no food, spiritually speaking. They're starving. Notice John 10 and verse 1. It says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that enters not 
by the door into the sheepfold, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that enters in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And the sheep, I mean, they know. They know the voice of the shepherd. They know when the shepherd's around. Verse 3, it says, To him the, the porter opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he puts forth his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Jesus Christ is our shepherd. He's the head of the church, 1 Corinthians 12. He's the, the chief shepherd, the good shepherd, the scriptures say. He's a servant leader. We look to his perfect example and follow in his steps. It says, The stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. This parable spoke Jesus unto them, verse 6, but they understood not what things they were uh, which he spoke unto them. And then said Jesus to them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. He's the shepherd. He's the door. He's everything. The thief, verse 10, the thief comes not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Jesus came so that we might have life, abundant life, in this temporary physiochemical existence so that we can then prepare for our position in the family of God, in the kingdom of God where we can gather in the world, where we can be servant leaders for all eternity. Verse 13, or sorry, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Jesus did that. He made the ultimate sacrifice, and so did the Father. John three sixteen. But he that is a hireling and not the shepherd, whose own sheep are not, whose own the sheep are not, it says, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches them and scatters the sheep. It says the hireling flees because he is a hireling and cares not for the sheep. See, he fancies himself as a, a leader, as a shepherd, but at the first sign of danger, he flees. He's not like King David, who actually faced down a lion and bear to protect sheep, physical sheep. And that's a type of the way our shepherd, our good shepherd, operates. Jesus will look after us. He will guide us. He will protect us. He will empower us. He'll feed the flock of God. He always does. Verse 14, again, this is Jesus speaking. He says, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. Verse 15 says, as the Father knows me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. You see, Christ gave his life. He gave his life. And that's not just the sacrifice at the end. Obviously, he paid the ultimate or made the ultimate sacrifice in sacrificing his own life for the sheep. But when he was alive in the flesh, he also was sacrificing for the sheep. We just saw a perfect example of that in Mark 6. The way he was about to head off to a quiet place for some R&R, &R, and instead he saw the multitudes and he was moved. He was moved with compassion. And he started to teach them many things. 
Jesus Christ gave his life in more ways than one because he was a good shepherd. He was a servant leader. And this is the perfect example that we as God's people follow and as we prepare for our role as servant leaders in the family of God. We've got a couple of minutes. Emails that have come in, if you want to email the show, by the way, TD at the trumpet. Dot com. We'd love to hear from you. This one here says, talk about the corruption on how our politicians get rich from being thieves off the taxpayer money and their money laundering schemes. I mean, look at that, uh, that uh, program we put together yesterday with, uh, what's the name of that company, FNX or whatever it is, the crypto uh, exchange that went under and how, how much money laundering was going on there. Hopefully we'll find out more as this, uh, this uh, story unravels. It says the money they sent to Iran during Obama's term, they sent $1.7 billion. That was in cash, as I recall. And then the billions to Ukraine. They want to send $37 billion more. Marjorie Taylor Greene said yesterday, look, we're, doing, we're spending almost $100 billion to try to secure Ukraine's border and won't do anything to secure our own. This is the upside-down world of America today. It says, well, I'll move on to another one here. It says, today's uh, program was just what the doctor ordered, very upbeat. We all need to keep our eyes on our head. He's absolutely able and will accomplish his goal, regardless of what appears to, to be happening. Praise God for the faith, strength, and understanding he has given and will add to and develop in us. It says, man is nothing of himself, but our father knows precisely how to prepare each one of his children for the future he has in mind for us. Trust God. The victory is already given. Thank you for your positive presentation. Keep on keeping on. Well, that's a nice little tie-in with the, uh, the Bible study that we were just able to enjoy. The email address again, TD at the trumpet. Com. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We certainly appreciate you joining us on today's show. We appreciate you joining us all week, and we'll see you next time.